I lost my playbill and I'm not trying to find it. Okay, I have mine right next to me. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Welcome back to Bottomless Broadway, where we talk musicals over mimosas. You know the drill. We usually try to prioritize the season's new Tony-eligible musicals to review, but with Broadway Dark, we are shit out of luck. And honestly, it probably won't open next month either. <laughs> So, from the comfort of our bedrooms for the past nine days, we're bringing you a revival, The West Side Story. The very controversial revival. I hate Romeo and Juliet. Like, people don't even think of it as, like, one of the better Shakespeare plays. I mean, it's the one that's always taught in high schools because it's basically about high schoolers. It's about, like, star-crossed lovers and, like, dramatic teenagers. So, obviously, high schoolers would understand that. Do you want to read off that like list of Romeo and Juliet adaptations you found? <laughs> um, Romeo dot Juliet. A bag lady travels around Venice rescuing stray cats. What the fuck is a bag lady? Wait, what the? That's fu- the whole. <laughs> what? That's the whole thing. That that's the whole thing. So it's like cats, but Romeo and Juliet. Ooh, okay. The Secret Sex Lives of Romeo and Juliet, a soft porn sexploitation film. <laughs> Back to back to West Side Story. All right. Not a long summary. So West Side Story, if you don't know, is about this American high school gang called the Jets hating on this Puerto Rican high school gang called the Sharks on the upper west side of Manhattan. And Tony is this guy who like isn't even in the Jets anymore. And Maria is the little sister the leader of the sharks and the two of them meet and fall in love at a party in their high school gym but at this party the jets and the sharks are supposed to declare war on each other so like maria finds out freaks out tells tony to stop it he tries pretty hard like in his defense and then um it doesn't work anyway and people die we should also note that there's like three controversies around this show, basically. The first one was the casting of Amar Ramasar, who did some shitty things. We're not going to go into too much because other people have gone into the details and better and like we can put links to that. But just wanted to acknowledge he's not a great person, but unfortunately he is still a great dancer. The other major controversy is that this new version is now 90 minutes long. So if you're trying to see this on Broadway, expecting to see like a good old classic musical, it's not that. It is 90 minutes long. It has like no set. And they cut two major songs and probably a lot of the book scenes. You won't hear I Feel Pretty and you won't see the Somewhere Ballet, but they do still sing Somewhere. So tonight sounds like such an intermission song. It's like that One Day More thing where everyone's singing on top of each other, reprising the songs they've already sang. And in the original, though, it ends after the rumble. So literally, you just see two dead bodies on stage and the curtain drops. And normally, you come back with I Feel Pretty as, like, I guess, a palate cleanser. And here, obviously, we don't have an intermission. So the first scene right after the rumble is Chino telling Maria, hey, bunch of shit happened. And I think it does flow better that way. I do like it more. I mean, one of the reasons why they condensed it to 90 minutes was because everything in the show happens over two days and they wanted you to feel everything's just hurtling towards the end. There's no real break between anything that's happening. I mean, I get why they cut I Feel Pretty because it just would not fit. It's such an upbeat number. If your boyfriend chooses you over a fight, let him stay. (laughs) Also, I think 
This is probably the show that we have the most disagreeing opinions on, right? I mean, it was shocking because that was the same for the critics. Like the reviews came out and I, were, I was like, what's going on? Yeah, these are probably also the most divided <laughs> reviews I've seen. Like you either love it or you hate it and there's nothing in between. It's all like a statement piece by the director, Eva Van Hove. What's the first thing that you wrote down after this show? I mean, so this is the only show where I took notes during the show. I saw the, I think it was the third preview and then I saw it again after it opened. My first impression coming out of the show, though, was like, wow, I now understand West Side Story. Because before I was like, I mean, you know, it's good music. It's a, I understand why it's important. And like Jerome Robbins choreography told the story and all that. But I just was never super into it. I was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's just one of those old shows. But when I saw it originally, I was sitting like front row with a heavy partial view But I could see how, like, why these gangs were fighting with each other, like, why they were so adamant about, like, getting into these scuffles and, like, why and just how frustrated everyone in the show is with the state of the world. So I was like, okay, now now I understand, like, what this is trying to do and all that. I thought it worked better for me than the Oklahoma revival, which is a controversial opinion because most people love the Oklahoma revival. It didn't do anything for me. This one, like, at least the choreography in West Side Story was, like, truly a good move. Yeah. Um, That's, like, the one thing that I walked out and was, like, yeah, like, that was a change you should have made. And then the rest of it, I was, like, I'm not really sure what happened. (laughs) Um. Also funny because before we knew anything about like what West Side Story looked like, I was like, oh yeah, choreography, probably Moulin Rouge. They have Sonia Taye, who's a kind of up and coming. And I was talking to some people from work the other day and they're like, I don't know. I wasn't that impressed by the Moulin Rouge choreography. And then I thought about it. I was like, they only really have like three big choreography numbers that I liked, I guess. But in West Side Story, it's much more integrated into the whole show. Almost every number is a choreography number, and the way that they do the choreography does also help tell the story. And they apparently brought on um, Sergio Trujillo, Tony winner of last year for Ain't Too Proud, to sort of basically add Latin movement into the choreography because right now it's a Belgian choreographer and Teresa de Kiersmaker. So she choreographs in a much more modern style, which I think worked a lot for me. But I have also talked to people who are like, I just cannot imagine West Side Story without the ballet. So I guess we didn't have any attachment to the ballet version. Yeah. I mean, like, I have like specific thoughts on like some of the actors and numbers and everything. But like, breaking down my general thoughts for this show is like, I already said, like, choreography, awesome. Um, like, Music, I don't really care that it's Sondheim. I don't really care about the music in West Side Story. Plot, stop remaking Romeo and Juliet. It sucks <laughs> as like an origin source. Set, I'm just so tired of people thinking that screens can replace a real set, especially when they spent the time designing a real set anyway, and instead they just hid it way upstaged under a scaffolding, basically. Yeah. So the set 
is basically an empty stage and the whole back wall is a projection. Like however big you think the screen is, it's bigger. I was just like shocked when the screen first started. And yeah, then they have these like two little garage things, which are Doc's shop and then the dress shop that Anita and Maria work in. And those are like fully TV ready. You could film a movie in their sets. Like they have all the props. They fleshed out the entire set. So I'm actually wondering if the Tonys end up happening, how the Tony voters will judge the set. Because the main set is nothing. But they obviously put a lot of detail into the the interior garage sets. And then there's also like an apartment set, which we don't even get to see. But like if the audience can barely see the set, does it really count as a set like why should it be factored into like tony nominations if they do happen Mm -hmm. this year um if like it doesn't add to the show the way that a set is supposed to i feel like for like doc's shop and the dress shop like it should also just be judged off like how much the audience can see yeah that's fair i think i mean i'm not in love with the set the reason i think they have nothing on the set is because it just rains for like half of the second half of the show (laughs) i guess that's a quarter Mm -hmm. of the show and just like full-on rains because i was up close i could see it after the show they have all this drainage happening so they actually built a deck on top of the original stage which is why my front row seat was super partial view i couldn't even see the garages that the other sets were in i actually really enjoyed the rain i think you were not impressed by it It wasn't as dramatic as I thought, because I think you said it used to rain more during previews, maybe. It felt like it, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, I think like it was well done for its like symbolism and dramatic effect purposes during like the rumble and the end. You know how like in English class, we were told that like a lot of books end with rain because it shows a new beginning. And it's like, all right, like you figured that out. (laughs) You did it. (laughs) Yeah. So I feel like like that's just kind of what it was. And like. It wasn't super impressive, but I don't think it was bad. I mean, okay, so I guess a lot of why I love this revival probably came from me being so close and seeing it so early because my initial impressions were like, even the stuff that I didn't like, I was like, oh, they have a chance to fix that in previews, which a lot of that stuff they did not, unfortunately. Also, because I was so close, when the rain started coming down, I could see how much rain was coming down. And then the second time that I saw it with you, we were sitting like rear meds. But I felt like I think the first time that I was almost in it. So that might have also changed like why I perceived it differently. Mm -hmm. I love being in the orchestra, even if it's like a little more towards the back. I just like being on the same level as the stage a little more is like, like always a nicer feeling. very beginning all the jets come on stage and then leave and then all the sharks come on stage and then leave right Mm -hmm. and they stand there and do absolute fucking nothing trying to look tough but they don't because they're gay broadway chorus boys (laughs) and then there's just this camera that pans across each of their faces so that you see their face like 60 feet tall on the screens behind them Mm -hmm. (sighs) honestly by then, I had already known that I didn't like the screens, but I didn't know how much I would hate them more going, like, deeper into the show. Because, like, it, I feel like it actually, like, detracts from reality because, like, you can clearly see that, like, they're mic'd up. I don't 
know why they did that. It wasn't. Did they like also say their names? No, they didn't. They okay, yeah. So they didn't even introduce after, themselves. Yeah, which would have been helpful because all of them have basically like the same name, which is some variation of Pop Socket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have. I mean, it must be like a like a teenage gang thing, but. Just to just to read out <laughs> some of the names that they have. They're ridiculous. <laughs> also, Riff, obviously, is the leader. Other Jets are Action, A-Rob, um, Big Deal, Guitar, and then some of the Sharks, Anxious, Indio, Mouthpiece. <laughs> like, I don't Anxious. know. <laughs> Mouthpiece? Moose is also one of them. Meanwhile, Bernardo gets a real name, like a stereotypical name, but at least a real name. Yeah. Maybe only if you're the leader of the gang, you get a real name. And then his sister and his girlfriend also get real names. So, like, maybe he's just pulling a power move there. I mean, like, what you said is actually pretty similar to what Ben Brantley said, where he's like, wow, when they first walked on stage, I was like, damn, this is a grittier, like, real gang kind of production. I'm excited. And then he was like, and then they panned the camera. And I was like, oh, no. They're just really bad at being tough, and they look like a Calvin Klein perfume ad. Like, some things on stage you don't want to, like, look at under a microscope. The way that the screens work is that it doesn't matter that you can't see a lot of things because the screens will probably project it. But if you do have not amazing center orchestra seats, you will probably end up watching the screen for a lot of things, which is probably not ideal. And Mm -hmm. it is nice because even if you have, like, nosebleed back row of mezzanine seats you will still be able to see the emotions that the actors are projecting but they're like enormous and so it's always a little bit of a struggle to decide whether or not you want to watch the screen or whether or not you want to watch the stage and i think some of the screenshots they did really well like they have a few different overhead shots which i thought were gorgeous but then there's also the shots where it's like it like just when they're singing America and yeah. they just have like random shots of rundown houses in Puerto Rico. Right. The part that I hated most was when you had the singers on stage and then you had a video of them doing things that they were not doing on stage. So it was obviously pre-taped. They were just like walking down the street, like swinging on lampposts and like being high school boys envisioned in the eyes of whoever the fuck wrote this. Like after the jet song, there was like a little kerfuffle with the sharks. Right. Mm -hmm. Like before they went to see Tony, like before they decided that they were going to declare war, that whole thing on stage, they were fighting. But then like there's no set again. So it's just like the basically like the ballet wooden floor. And then they're like kind of like picking each other up, like throwing them, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And then they are doing like fairly similar movements on the giant projected screen in the back. And like props to how well timed it is again, because like the movements of the fight are actually like almost the exact same. But then on the projection, it's like happening at a basketball court and you can see like chain link fences and hoops and like someone punches something else and there's someone else and there's like blood on their face, which like isn't reflected on stage obviously Mm -hmm, and it's just like very very confusing and also like it's confusing whether i should be watching the stage or the tv and it's like from my seats i can very easily see the entire stage still Mm -hmm. but like the screen is gigantic and from the mezzanine it's definitely more at eye level so i'm like 
just like naturally more drawn to it, but I don't really want to be. Right. Yeah. I've been telling people who want to see the show, I'm like, if you don't know which one to watch, just watch the stage. And I do think sitting up close helped with that, especially in the orchestra, because like you said, the screen is pretty eye level for the mezzanine. So being in the orchestra, I think it's easier to just stare straight ahead at the actors rather than at the screen behind them. In like the gym dance, mm-hmm. um, that one I feel like was actually like filmed live on stage and projected onto the screen. Right, it right? was yeah. when the dance is being choreographed. He really kept in mind <laughs> that there was going to be a screen, I think, or like whoever mm-hmm. finalized the blocking did, because, um, like their movements aren't really done to the audience at all, right? And like when they're kind of have a, having a dance battle between like the jets and their girlfriends and the sharks and their girlfriends Mm -hmm. they're mostly like totally facing off which is kind of cool because like it seems more like a legitimate dance battle because they're dancing towards each other instead of the audience but um the camera has them like head on so it feels like it makes more sense to watch the screen because you see their faces and like you see that like they're coming towards you kind of thing. I think when the screen is live, the screen does help a lot. And it's only when the screen is not live that you're just like, why am I watching two different things? And that's when you should just watch the stage. They could have just like choreographed it so that they could see it. Us. The cool thing about the dance at the gym was that they started overlaying the two different sides. Like they had one camera filming the sharks and one camera filming the jets. And then they, on the screen, they were like overlays, both kind of translucent. And mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of cool. And I think the other thing that the show was trying to do was be like, look, there's really not that big of a difference between these two distinct gangs. They all kind of have similar gang personas, besides the fact that one group is from Puerto Rico and one group is not. And the other mm-hmm. thing that this specific Broadway revival did was that they cast colorblind for the Jets. So the guy who plays Riff now is Darren E. Jones, and he is a black man. And they do have like other black people in the Jets gang, whereas previously the Jets were all white. And then the Sharks are still Latino. But it does make it harder to tell who's in what gang when it's not just like a very white group and a not white group. I really like Dance at the Gym, though. I think that might have been my favorite number. I think it had the best choreography. It was just really well staged. The energy was totally there. I think my favorite number is america mostly just because like i think i love anita yeah we haven't even talked about anita yet (laughs) which is a little bit of a travesty but yeah she's great yesenia ayala is playing anita in west side story overall generally it's anita that gets like all the attention rather than maria 
or whatever, which... Maria doesn't do that much, especially right. without I Feel Pretty. Like, what does she have? Yeah, she has no solos. I mean, neither does Anita, really, but America's kind of like her song. I saw people online who were like, oh, Anita isn't like popping as much as the the other productions of West Side Story has. And they like just assumed that that meant the person playing Anita wasn't as good, which I heavily disagree with. I think that this was definitely also much more of an ensemble piece than other productions. Like even the leads like Isaac Powell, I honestly didn't think he could carry a leading role before this. And I was proven wrong. But even then, he still plays nice with the ensemble. Like, when they want him to disappear into the ensemble and be just, like, another member of the gang, he does it. And so I think that's also part of what this production is doing is just, like, no one's really a star vehicle anymore in this production. I mean, maybe we think Anita pops out so much because we're just, like, comparing her to the rest of the cast. Because, yeah. like, Maria is genuinely very boring. And she might have been boring in past productions, too. But, man, is she boring in this one. <laughs> and and Isaac Powell, I didn't think he could carry a show either. Did we both just see him first in Once on this Island? Yeah, I mean, that's the only other thing he's done because he just graduated. Okay, cool. And once on this island, he has that one solo that's some girls. And it's not bad. Like, I think it fits his voice type. But compared to, like, the rest of the power singers, like, just, like, the power vocals in Once on this Island, I was like, well, he sucks. (laughs) (laughs) It's true that I do think he, like, carried this leading role of Tony a lot better than I would have expected it and, like, fairly well. But I definitely wasn't, like, as impressed as you because when you saw the first preview, you were like, wow, like, you could totally win um, Best Leading Actor Mm -hmm. this year. And I wasn't, like, that impressed um, because his first song is Something's Coming. And when he started singing that, I was like, oh, he can still not carry a solo. (laughs) I think, like, he just, his voice only fits, like, certain songs and he's very good with emotion because when he did Maria, that was super impressive. Like, I can't wait for a recording from him because it's like so emotional. And then I, it made me really like that song. Um, I mean, he was so into it that he just humped the air at the end of the song. (laughs) (laughs) He's just a horny teenager. Full hip thrust into the air while he was lying on the ground. And we were like, did that just happen? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Marina definitely, he does do his own take on it. It's like, and you can kind of tell he probably like drilled it down to the lyrics to what this guy was saying and just really connected with what the character of Tony would be saying and thinking. And, um, and I mean, Sondheim originally wrote this song because they needed a love song. And he's like, well, this kid knows nothing about the girl he supposedly loves except her name. So I guess, I guess that's what this song's going to be. I mean, that's a very reasonable assumption. Yeah. Um, though to bring it back to America for a hot sec. Mm-hmm. So that's like Anita's main song and it's they do the movie version, which is like the girls versus the guys of the sharks. Because in the original, it's um, Anita versus this other girl who's like, I love Puerto Rico. And Anita's like, yeah, fuck you. We love America. Um, and I watched the Karen Olivo version of it because she did the 2009 revival, which you want a Tony for. And it just comes off as very mean spirited. Like, it's just like, Anita is so mean in that number to this, like, poor girl. And then here, it's like, the girls are kind of just like, oh my god, we're in America, we could do anything. And the guys are like the ones being like, 
okay, no, but you got to get rid of your accent. Like, they don't care about us, which I think is a is a much better take. And, like, Yesenia Ayala just brings so much sass into the role. Life can be bright in America. If you can fight in America. Life is all right in America. If you're all white in America. So in tonight, the quintet version, the screen is doing an interesting thing, which this one I didn't have as big of an issue with, but it is playing like pre-taped clips. Bernardo is just like randomly smoking on a balcony. Yeah. And so so Tony's first on screen and that works out pretty well because you just see him like running down the streets like so excited about Maria. It's like something that you probably wouldn't normally get to see in a stage production and that you probably would get to see in the movie because it's kind of like a scene transition but then it's just like like after a number here is his like low-key reaction to everything that just happened right and i really like that and then right after that bernardo is just like all right everyone welcome to my pre-rumble routine first i get shirtless and then i smoke and then i stand on a balcony i mean yeah so like all of these were pretty hit or miss i'm like so confused because like okay so bernardo has probably never died before we can assume <laughs> <laughs> but like he's probably like come home wounded like why is this the prime time to fuck? Like, I'm so confused. <laughs> the other thing they do in this quintet, which they actually do a lot, is there's so much running around this giant-ass stage during this show. A lot of it, because they don't have a set, they just kind of, like, run in circles around each other. Whenever there's a scene change, Tony just, like, runs in a large circle for a long time. Like, if they had a Remember Fitbit, um, that other show that we saw with the ridiculous amount of running? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Judgment Day with, <laughs> with Luke Kirby. In the Park Avenue Armory, he just right. He basically like ran the entire game. armory like five times. <laughs> yeah, at least. <laughs> at least Isaac Powell was in like street clothes, and um, Luke Kirby was in like this his station uniform. Master's uniform. <laughs> so. It felt like just like whenever they needed to create some chaos, but didn't need this person like downstage at this exact moment. The director was just like, "Take a lap." <laughs> we'll be back tonight. Um, the other thing I said about tonight is the first time we hear Maria sing. Yeah, right? the first tonight on the it says in the program the balcony scene, but there's no balcony. Which is also the first time that we hear a female voice in the entire show. Yes. Tony and Maria are very in love. And um, when they sing tonight, like, they're like, not really making out because they're singing. But then it's like, they're trying to finish up the song so they can make out. <laughs> so they're just like, basically singing into each other's mouths. Like, they're so up close to each other. They're like, noses are touching while they're singing the song. The last scene is them almost making out in front of a mirror. But their breath like fogs the mirror, which I thought was a super cool effect. I I liked Shireen Pimentel a lot because 
I do miss that kind of like actual soprano role, like especially the more operatic sopranos, because now everything's just belting. Hmm. And it works because she's such a different singer than Anita. And so Mm -hmm. like, that's why I thought a boy like that and I have love worked a lot. Except for the fact, like, that was another one where the background image was just honestly kind of terrible. And originally in previews, it was just, like, six straight minutes of Isaac Powell running through, like, what looked like a parking garage or something. With a ton of blood on his shirt. It's like, why hasn't someone stopped him yet? Yeah, and now it's still, like, maybe four minutes of that. They intersperse it with them, like, making out in bed now. But it's still a lot of just him running with a bloody shirt. Like, forget about Maria's questionable questionable choices for a second, but it's like, if I murdered someone, presumably for the very first time, or even the second time, I would definitely not be like, after this, I'm going to get some ass. Like, (laughs) I'm so in the mood to fuck right now. Like, let's go. I would definitely be like, man, I fucked up. Like, Well, the other thing that was interesting that I only just noticed about this show also was that like no one really takes responsibility because Bernardo does kill Riff first and Tony kills Bernardo like in revenge. He doesn't ever atone for it, I guess. And Maria also lets him off super Mm -hmm. quickly. I feel like it's like making fun of itself because it's kind of like telling us that Tony doesn't actually care about Maria that much or like has clearly just met her because like in that moment he's just not thinking about her at all yeah which is pretty true because in the end maria has this big speech about like because tony dies spoiler alert and maria has this big speech about like we all killed tony essentially is what she's saying like we all played a hand in his death and we all were part of this so i i think like maybe no one takes responsibility earlier so that she can have that speech and to make that land more and be like we gotta start being responsible for our actions and understand what we're doing to like tear each other apart or something like that most everyone that truly fucked up is already dead so she's kind of just like preaching to people that fucked up slightly less (laughs) in our life all right don't become the dead people yeah that's true i mean both leaders of the gangs are dead. They're just like trying to figure out who's going to be the new leader, I guess. I don't know. Which seems impossible because like aside from the leaders, the rest of the gang members are all like cutter caricatures. Yeah, because so, they have names like, like Anxious. Right. Like I would never let Anxious run the <laughs> gang. Like why would you have a gang about anxiety? <laughs> Maybe he gets a real name once he gets promoted to the leader of the gang. Who knows? That's true. And he's going to be like, Anita, now your cotton pads. <laughs> my girlfriend can finally go by her real name. Um, the The idea of this whole, like, who's going to be responsible. Like, you also see the adults just so frustrated with that. And we haven't really talked about the adults much. But, like, the two main ones are Doc and Krupke. Krupke, there's that song, Officer Krupke, which is normally a comedy number, but it's juxtaposed against, like, it's the Jets that perform this. So there's this gang, including black men, who are sort of facing off against the police presence, and they have police abuse clips playing in the background. Random videos. Yeah. Yeah. But it is a lot more commentary on sort of what role the police plays if they're actually helping or the tone of what this show is trying to take is very different than the tone of what the original show was written as so sometimes it 
comes off a little weird because they're so different. But then if you see it as almost satire, I think that helps make it work a little more. Some of that bothered me a lot because like the stage, the dancing, the costumes, a lot of the dialogue aside when they're calling each other by their made up names is pretty dark. Yeah. Um, But meanwhile, it's like a very light orchestration. Mm hmm. It's just like, do, 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 do a pirouette. And then, like, it doesn't fit with what's going on on stage. Yeah. At all. And, like, I want to say that it's, like, it's meant to be that way. Like, it, it's ironic. It fits perfectly. But it just didn't feel that way to me. It felt really weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is, like, the thing about making such a different revival from what your story originally was is that, Obviously, it was written as that original production, and they put it together and they decided on the tone that they wanted to take. Like Oklahoma redid it as darker, but they also redid the orchestrations. Officer Krupke also is like still seems like almost a um, cop comedy number. It's just like a song that's kind of moved with the times in like a surprising way because you can tell that it's a comedy number, but then like. Now, the things that it touches on, like kids who make mistakes aren't actually criminals. Like a lot of them didn't really have a choice or had a terrible upbringing, which is like kind of still a pretty big social issue right now. Um, So it just like works really well where it's like still kind of a comedy number, but they're visibly angry and taking it more seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like like when it was written, it was never expected to be taken seriously. But like oddly, it works well. When it is, yeah. Dear kindly Sergeant Krupke, you gotta understand, it's just our bringing upkey that gets us out of hand. Our mothers all are junkies, our fathers all are drunks. Golly Moses, naturally we're punks. Gee, Officer Krupke, we're very upset. We never had the love that every child ought to get. We ain't no delinquents, we're misunderstood. Deep down inside us, there is good. There is good. The whole show in general originally was written thing where it's like there's still a shred of hope. Like that's what somewhere was. It's like sometime, somewhere, sometime we we would be able to be together and like we'd have that shred of hope. But this show doesn't believe in that. It's like this is the world we live in. Gotta wake up. Like and so that one um speech that doc gives when tony's like i'm gonna run away with maria we're gonna have children we're gonna like go upstate whatever doc's like yeah so you're fucked you will never make it in the real world and so and that just landed a lot better i think because that's kind of what the whole show is trying to say you have to deal with what you have now like you can't just be like we'll just run away and pretend this doesn't exist you have to deal with your current surroundings but i think Isaac Powell does play that sort of transition of Tony from being very naive and very like, I love everyone, to being uh, later when he's like, Chino, come at me. I have nothing to live for anymore. Oh, also, we just like totally skipped Anita's rape scene. Oh, yeah. Which was like as uncomfortable to watch as it should have been. Yeah. I liked it in the sense that I think it was done well. Because I think you need, like, the audience is supposed to realize these guys in the gangs are not great people. Like, you're supposed to feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. 
I remember thinking it was just like a weird placement because I mean, like, I'm happy that like as something that was meant to be uncomfortable, it was uncomfortable. But um, it comes like right after Officer Krupke, right? Which was very weird to me because Officer Krupke was kind of like their redemption slash humanization song, <laughs> where they were just like, "Yeah, we're so fucked up, but like we've had a really hard life." Like, I feel like at that point, I'm like, "Yeah, totally." And then, like, next scene, they rape Anita, the, the Jets rape Anita. And I'm like, what the fuck? I was just feeling bad for you guys. The argument there is, like, <laughs> they're not great people, and it's not their fault. And they're just going to continue this sort of cycle. I think the interesting thing is that, like, oh, and this also happens in Officer Krupke, because it's set in modern times, they all have, like, iPhones or, you know, smartphones. And in Officer Krupke, mm-hmm. to get Krupke to go away, one of the guys brings out a phone and starts filming Krupke and it's I thought that was really smart and then also the rape scene is done what looks like a shitty phone camera like that's the part that's projected it moves a lot it's like very shaky it's not the same kind of camera that they use for all the other scenes and I think that was a good choice I mean I think like when they pull up out the phone and officer Krupke it's to like preface all the supposed like phone footages of actual police abuse that like they project later on and then I don't know like I feel like with the shaky camera for like Anita's rape scene they were just trying to like blur it out yeah I mean I don't think it would have worked with the normal camera I think yeah, like, I agree. And I, I think it's because the scene is so hectic. They wanted to, like, create that chaotic energy. Yeah, uh, The lighting in front of Doc's store is also awesome. Like, right before something's coming. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It's, like, pulling it way back. Tony's sitting, like, on a chair, like, right in front of the storefront. Right. Like, because he's facing us, he's, like, facing the stage lighting. But then his face is also projected onto like the giant screen in the back Mm -hmm. but the giant and the giant screen in the back i'm pretty sure is like filming him live but they're able to add like this like live cgi type thing or just like filter i don't know yeah that makes it look like he's sitting on the street at yeah they have some like that was awesome kind of cool cgi stuff going on they used to have after the rumble it looked like cgi ambulances showing up because they had an overhead shot of just riff and bernardo dead and it Mm -hmm. like transitioned into this overhead shot with ambulances and with people coming out which they then Mm -hmm. cut after previews but i was i remember being super impressed i was like wow they have like real last cgi here i think overall honestly i would have liked more overhead shots because almost all the overhead shots they did were really good Eva Van Hove, the director, only wants the camera off during very specific intervals. And, like, one of that is when they sing somewhere, the camera's completely off. And also at the end, the camera's completely off. And I think he wants to say something about those moments. But that also means basically padding all the other scenes with just filler video or just something else that he really doesn't need. Do you remember that scene after the rumble where 
So like everyone's wounded on the ground and then Bernardo and Rafford dead. But then like everyone's girlfriends come on yeah, stage and just start somewhere. cuddling them. And the dead people come alive. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, my girlfriend. That <laughs> felt like it made a lot more sense in previews. Like, I remember not having an issue with that in previews. And then after it opened, I was like, you know, if I were seeing this for the first time, I would probably be real confused. And I think it's supposed to be this, like, imaginary dream world where everyone can just be happy and be together and no one dies. I, yeah, like, I didn't know, like that they were going to come alive at all so like when i saw anita walk onto stage i was like oh shit <laughs> she's gonna find out right now and i was like bracing myself and then bernardo just like sat the fuck up <laughs> and i was like hold on what I mean, I don't know. It still feels like a work in progress almost, even though they've opened. There's still just scenes that don't completely land. But the thing is, I just like so much what their message and their new take on it is that I'm willing to forgive that, I guess. What do you think about Tony's, assuming they happen? Okay, so like choreo? Yes. Maybe lighting? I think the lighting was pretty cool. Isaac Powell. Yeah. Maybe Anita. I put lighting. I put sound design maybe just because I couldn't think of anyone else. And also they do have sort of storm effects and lighting. So as like a closing question, I think I know your answer, but what number do you think they should perform at the Tonys? America. Although like, I guess we wouldn't get to see Tony. But like, or any of the Jets, but like the other number, I oh, I guess like Jim literally has everyone. So maybe they should just do the gym yeah. dance. If they could do Jim and like a a bit of Maria. Well, no, Jim and like that bit where they meet each other, I guess would be cool. But the meeting each other isn't that well done anyway. Yeah. I like didn't even catch when they met each other. Right. We didn't really talk about that, but um, I only caught it after they started awkward waving. <laughs> And I was like, who are those two ducks on the opposite sides of the stage? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you keep your eyes on Tony at the dance of the gym, first of all, he comes late. So I remember originally being like, when the fuck did he get there? But if you keep <laughs> an eye out for Tony, he, instead of that like instant, they both see each other and fall in love, lighting cue kind of thing, Tony sees her first and, and then she sees him and then they start the whole awkward they're teenagers i don't know kind of thing that they do which i guess is more true to life but as far as dramatical context maybe doesn't work so i feel like i've said all my thoughts which is just like the elements of the musical don't feel that coherent just gotta stop well that was our first revival we have another one coming up so if you want to see that you can subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you're using or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at bottomlessbway or email us at bottomlessbway at gmail.com. And otherwise, we will be back in a couple of weeks. So thanks for listening. Woohoo. Bye. Will it be? Yes, it will. 
maybe just by holding still, it'll be there. Come on, something, come on in, don't be shy, meet a guy, pull up a chair. The air is humming, and something great is coming. Just out of reach, down the block, on a beach Maybe tonight, maybe tonight Maybe tonight